What's going on, everybody? It's Triple Crown 24 back today with the inaugural episode of Sports Card Psychology. I've been talking about doing a podcast for a while. Here it is today. And I wanted to kind of go beyond the surface level stuff. There's a lot of great information out there about the hobby, a lot of great sources to get your hobby news. But this podcast is really devoted to answering those why and how questions. And I have a couple of goals for this. Number one, understanding the whys and hows can help us as hobbyists and however we choose to engage with it. And on top of that, we can also understand our fellow hobbyists a little bit more and maybe understand some of their perspectives. So throughout this podcast series, we will talk to a lot of great hobbyists about some of their areas of expertise. And throughout this, hopefully get a better understanding for themselves ourselves, and pretty much everyone out there, as well as some of the topics we talk about. So today's episode, they've been in the news right lately, it's PSA, and they just reopened their regular service submission for $100 a card. But way before PSA was about getting your cards graded for perhaps a quick flip or slabbing everything possible, this company was really founded on a idea of a set registry where you could go ahead and enter in cards and there's a lot of adjectives you could use to describe this set registry one of them that i hear most often is addicting and today i want to really dive into why is this set registry so addicting and why do so many people in the hobby rely on it so well so I went ahead and found a guest who knows quite a bit about set registries. He has more than I could probably even count. You know him from the Baseball Collector YouTube channel. You also know him from the Bench Clear Media YouTube channel. And he is the host of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, Mr. Mike Moynihan, a.k.a. Baseball Collector. Mike, how you doing? Yo and hello, JT. What's up? It's weird to be on this side of it. Usually I'm on the uh, other side where you're introducing me. So it's, uh, it's weird to be the captain of the ship here. Um, but I'm talking to someone who's definitely well-versed in the PSA set registries. Why don't you briefly tell us how you got started with them? Wow. So set registries, probably a decade or so that I've been doing them pretty hardcore. Uh, and it just started with a great way as a checklist. If you're wanting to do a player run or a, every, every player that's won an MVP or you name it, there is a set registry for it probably. And if there's not, you can get one created and it allows you to pseudo compete. And I say pseudo because the reality is there's nothing at the end of the rainbow on this. You know, there's no golden ribbon. It's all for, it, it's so funny how I think the registry is purely driven by ego, myself included, by the way. And you want to see yourself compete and get higher and you can do what ifs and all kinds of stuff. And so that competitive nature that I have that drive to be number one uh, really just made me gravitate towards the set registries long ago. N knowing on most of them, you'll never be number one. But it's fun just to see where you rank. And it, for me, honestly, it really started with the 300 great cards by Mike Payne. That was the first set registry that I thought, man, I want to see how high I can get in this thing. Knowing there were cards on there I will never own, like the Wagner and the, you know, 52 Tops Mantle, et cetera. 
but the further along I've gone, it's like, man, it's, it's just this, those competitive juices start flowing and it's so much fun. Well, I think what you touched on is what I hear from a lot of people when they tell me about their registries. I mean, you've created your own with the last Tops Hall of Famer. Um, I know that you're involved in several of the decade sets and that 300 great cards. One thing I also know about you and anyone who follows your YouTube channel probably knows this too, is that you're a big spreadsheet guy. You've got spreadsheets and checklists for everything. So that kind of begs the question, why not just use your spreadsheets and those kind of checklists instead of using the PSA set registry where you're forced to have these cards in PSA slabs? What is one of your, I know you just touched on some of them, like the registry is so appealing, but why do you also keep track of it through PSA and not just on a spreadsheet? That's actually a great question. If you think what's, it's duplicating the work, right? Of tracking my collection. I either, either you can track it on PSA, that's fine, or track it on a spreadsheet. And the reality of it is each of those formats, I think bring a little bit different to the, to me as a, as an, as a collector who likes his things organized, likes his things easy to tell. And so, for example, on the PSA set registry, when you put a set in, you can add pictures, you know, your scan of the card. You can add your actual scan, which is great. It tracks values automatically. And, and PSA is getting better at that, honestly. They, for a long time, it, it was worthless data, quite frankly. But recently, they've gotten a, a lot better in terms of auction prices realized data to tell you what the values are. And that's just kind of fun to track and see. Um, the spreadsheet side does allow you, like you said, if you have cards in a, in a particular run that aren't PSA slabs or SGC or BVG or HGA or whoever, then you can uh, kind of include those on your spreadsheet. And I do. Like my 300 great cards registry on PSA is different than the real list because I have several cards within that set that are not PSA slabbed. So, you know, to know, so I just do it both ways. I just like both. I like what spreadsheets can do for me. I like being able to see it and more concise. I can choose the data I want to see, um, make it much simpler. And I like the pictures and the, and the rankings other, if you do it just in a spreadsheet, how do you know where you rank against everybody else that's out there that has that set? You'll, you'll never know. And I like the what if and, uh, it, the, you know, there's lots of perplexing things about the registry, but I'm sure you'll ask me about that later. But but that's why I do both. And I enjoy that part of the hobby, which is probably weird. Uh, I'm just a nerd. I like putting things on spreadsheets and putting things in registries and getting a card. It's about a if I get one card in the mail, it's probably a 20 to 30 minute process to get that card logged in to all the right places uh, that I, where I track stuff, which is part of the fun for me. Again, probably sounds crazy. But. I think everyone who's listening to this is a nerd to some degree, and anyone who's out there shaking their head, no, you're lying to yourself. You're going to have to get past <laughs> that if you want to continue with this. But no, that, that all makes perfect sense, too. Having the images of the cards right there is really nice, too. I mean, you have behind you, if anyone who's watching on YouTube will be able to see the beast. And that's somewhat easy to kind of thumb through, but it's also nice because I've seen on, for example, your 300 great cards registry, 
they kind of have like a digital binder where you can look at through the album, which is really cool to be able to see that and have your collection all photographed and scanned where it's really easy to access it. Or maybe you, you want to show someone your collection, say that you're at a show or a trade night or whatever the case may be, you can just pull it up on your phone or your tablet, whatever electronic device you have with you rather than kind of the old days of, hey, you got to come over to my house and look through my baseball cards type of deal. So that is definitely nice. There is also some benefit, I think, to redundancy in that in our world today, everything's on the cloud and you can probably access it. You're probably not going to lose the data, your spreadsheets. If you have them auto uploaded to, uh, to the cloud, every once in a while but the reality is i don't know what's going to happen and i'd rather have it uh in multiple places than only one place and somehow lose it lose access to it who knows and then i'm kind of having to start over from scratch and building a giant database which is really all of this is it's just a database right doing that in small doses is much easier if you said all right mike start now cataloging your entire collection i would throw up my hands and go no thank you it's going to take me forever but if you do it once you get a card do do one card at a time it's kind of the old uh adage our moms used to tell us you know if you you never wanted to clean your room because it took forever but once you cleaned it keeping it clean is much easier and that's kind of how i feel about my collection now that it's all organized and in different places keeping it that way is simply a, a a small minute task relative to the whole. And so, but the redundancy thing matters, I think to me, again, it's probably a non-issue, but I I remember back in the days we had databases on floppy disks and stuff. And if you lost the disk or got it corrupted, your data was gone. So our world's come a long way, but I still kind of live in that 20 years ago mentality. Uh, there's got to be a checks and balances system that kind of goes into it too, where you can cross-reference your spreadsheet with your PSA registry. And it, it's definitely beneficial to have that information in multiple places. And organization, it's, I guess, very timely that we're talking about that because organization is typically one of those New Year's resolutions. We're recording this, of course, a couple of days before New Year's Day. I'm sure a lot of people have being organized at the top of their hobby resolutions list for 2022. Um, and that, that kind of goes into this idea of having a to-do list, so to speak. So there's a lot of studies out there that show that people are more productive when they have a to-do list or a set of items to complete or obtain. Do you find that the PSA registry, because the checklists are, unless you're the one making the registry, they're pretty much made up for you. Do you feel that that helps in your organization where you're not just grabbing every single cool card you see, you kind of have a list of cards that you want to check off? Or is it something that you wish that you could expand a little bit more and have some more flexibility? Good question. Uh, Both, I think. I think that the ability to have at least some framework from which to start is great. Uh, let's say you're collecting a, a player, Johnny Bench or something, and you, they have a basic, they have so many different registries. If you want to collect Johnny Bench, you can do the master set, which is every Johnny Bench card made typically during the player's career, not post-career. Like you're not going to have it see a 2021 Johnny Bench card in that registry. Player career cards 
through all the different manufacturers, all the weird esoteric, you know, regional things and kind of oddball stuff. That's on a master list, or you might want the tops list or what they call a basic set registry, which is just his main issue cards, tops, Fleer, Donruss, for example, upper deck. And so there's so many ways to do it. You can probably find, and then if you want to buy one of the weird ones, just because it doesn't necessarily have to fit in a set registry to want the card. I think there's a mistake. I think some collectors, they get this tunnel vision on the registry and they don't think outside of that. There's so much more to the hobby. Don't just buy something because it's in a registry um, and not go, well, I don't want to buy that even though I like it because it's not in the registry. That's probably, I do buy cards because only because they are in a registry. I own a 1975 tops Herb Washington card because it's in the 300 great cards. Not because I would ever buy that card. Otherwise I'm glad I own it. I think it's cool, but wouldn't have ever bought that card. And that's another thing that the registries do is they help you discover areas of the hobby. You might not otherwise have discovered and find things, unique items that just pique your energy. Go, wow, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, so that's uh part of the lure of it, but no, I don't think I get, frustrated with the registry in and of itself um it, it just kind of comes with the game most of them is pretty basic checklist so it's not hard to get upset or frustrated with what they're using for said card in any given registry that problem of picking up cards for the sake of adding them to your registry is probably more common in something like the 300 great cards as you said i imagine if you're doing a player run i know that you're a big nolan ryan guy those are cards that you would probably want to pick up anyways, because they're Nolan Ryan cards. That's your guy. You're kind of, you get to choose them. And if you, especially if you do a master run, those are pretty endless. I dipped into a master run for about six months one time and the depth that you can go in that it's sky's the limit really with it. And I know some guys who have some absolutely insane player collections, but when you're talking about a more finite set, you kind of already answered this question already. Do you ever feel like you're obligated to go pick up certain cards that you may not want or feel some kind of pressure to go out and get something like, for example, one of the key post-war cards that you're missing in your 300 great cards registry is the Pete Rose rookie. And it's one I know that you and I have talked about it privately, why some of the reasons why you haven't gone after that one. But do you ever feel maybe more so pressure to go after that because it would help fulfill your registry rather than something else you're looking at? Or is it just one of those things that you'll get to it whenever you get to it? If there's any pressure in my experience for me, it's only because I put it on myself. It's not because someone else is going, Hey, why? Cause most of the times you're relatively anonymous on there, unless people really know who you are or whatever you're, it's really, again, I'm telling you, it's this internal ego you know, your little voice in your head telling you, hey, if you just get this card, you can move up two spots. And it is not pressure put on by external forces in any way, shape or form. The Rose is a great example of a card that I have simply refused to buy, ignored for a long time because he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he'll get in and I find it for what it is to be insanely overpriced and it has been the whole 10 years I've been doing registry. I've never bought the card because I've always thought that about that card. And, uh, 
so I've never picked one up. Will if it was the last card that I needed for the 300 great cards, for example, or the post-war Hall of Fame potentials, or I can't remember what it's called, uh, future Hall of Famer rookie kit, rookie set, yes, I would go get it. Um, but it would be just because I think collectors, we have a completionist nature about us. There is something in our DNA that we want to complete something. Uh, did you ever see the movie The Accountant with uh, Ben Affleck? You already know the answer, Mike. I haven't you seen any movie know. ever made. <laughs> Those of you that have not seen uh, The Accountant, Matt uh, Ben Affleck, I was going to say Matt Damon. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, same guy. No, just kidding. Uh, ben Affleck plays a gentleman who is raised by his dad. He He's autistic, but high-functioning. High and but he gets he's working on a puzzle and he's doing the puzzle and he can't find the last piece and he's just like i have to finish and he literally goes bananas because he can't find that last piece it happens to be on the floor he ends up completing it and calms down there's some of that in i think collectors i think that's just part of being a collector is wanting to complete things wanting to finish i want to finish and so and there's a joy that comes at the end of that when I finish a player run, I'm excited. I'm excited to show them off. I'm excited to put them all together and, and look at that player's career in cardboard. Those are joyful moments for me in the hobby. And so it's not a, it doesn't even matter where I rank in the registry. I like to see 100% on the completion column on your set registry. That's a satisfactory thing uh, for a lot of collectors, I think. I'm a, the same type of completionist guy. Uh, being a collector who's done player collections with rainbows particularly, it is so rewarding when you get that last piece. And I think the journey to completing it is probably mostly anticipation. And that's where you get most of that euphoric sense when you finally complete it is that building anticipation over the course of however long it may take. You've been doing this registry for a decade, and that's longer than... Some people have been in the hobby. Some people have only been in the hobby for a year and they can't imagine probably pursuing something as long as you have with some of these registries. Um, you did mention the completionism. I think that's a huge part of it too. You just, the brain wants to see things that are complete and having those open, empty spaces, it's an uncomfortable feeling for us. We want to be able to feel like we have fulfilled this. There's also probably a bit of perfectionism that occurs with it too. I know that you've had this, I guess, debate with yourself at points in time too, where on your uh, decade sets, for example, particularly with the 80s sets, PSA 10s of those cards are particularly, I don't want to say easy to come by, but they are easier than maybe some of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they're probably a little bit more affordable, but you're more so going towards the completion part of it where you want to have all of the cards so you may settle for the eights or nines because they are so much cheaper than the tens is there a part of you sometimes that gets a little irked when you got to buy a little bit of a lower grade or is it more so that you just want to keep working towards that completion part of it rather than having a quote-unquote perfect registry yes uh part of me does get irked with that i wish those cards were cheaper they're just not uh, I would buy tens in everything if I could afford it, 
but you're always as a collector balancing picking up a card versus picking up a certain card in a certain grade. And I would rather have more quanti quantity uh, than necessarily all gym tens, you know, let's say for 89 tots, which should be easy, right? You would think, well, shoot, there's tons of them out there. Um, and that's true. It doesn't mean they're cheap. And so finding them is not usually the problem. Affording them is. And so, yes, I'd love all tens. And I have a smattering of tens when I've found good deals. I, I buy tens if I can. But the reality is, and most of us can't afford that on every card. I guess you could if you just did it much slower. But I think also that pursuit, at least for me, is the longer I go idle without picking some something up, unless it's done on purpose in terms of taking a break or whatever, I'm I'm itching. You know, it's it's an addiction, no doubt. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I need a fix. You know, I need a card. I'll, I'll take an eight. Yeah, give me an eight. Uh, I'd love a ten, but man, I'll take the eight. Let me just get. Some, let me just fill a hole here. Let me make progress in my collecting journey overall. And it's funny how you call this, you know, sports card psychology. And there's so much to it that is that. I feel like I should be laying on a couch, you know, talking to talking to my to doctor to Dr. JT. But uh I'm kind of airing out all my inner psyche issues, I guess. Right. Well that's the that's the point of this podcast is to really examine why we make these decisions because it is very easy on the surface level to say you have this set it's uh and your goal is to complete it uh the way that i like to look at it again it's new year's time let's talk about another popular resolution losing weight um one of the things that i see from a lot of people who suggest it is of course your diet you want to be able to put less on your plate because when you see a bunch of food on your plate, your mind instantly says, I need to finish all of this. And I think the same goes for a set registry as crazy as it may sound where you see all these cards and you say, I have to get all these for my set registry. So I think that's a huge part of it too. Why do you think it is that people get so addicted to those PSA 10s though. I mean, there is a part of it where there are people out there who solely just want to go ahead and complete the set by any means necessary. They'll take the best example they can get for the best price that they can get. But I know quite a few collectors who really will not settle for less than the 10 on a lot of cards. What do you think it is about the 10 that is just so alluring to us? Well, certainly, I think on the modern side, that's the standard of perfection. That's the standard. In the vintage world, that is not the standard, right? You just forget about it. Most You'll see a lot of guys, though, in the vintage world that they're doing a set. Let's say they're building a 61 top set. They want eight or better or seven or better. They want some minimum grade that they consider to be, you know, acceptable to them. And they will build it based on that. But in the modern world, a player collector, if you're collecting a, a current player, it's not unreasonable to expect tens out of all the cards because you can find them. They are readily available. And if you can, why not is kind of the, the theory. I think a lot of guys have, you mentioned earlier, the, I want to step back a quick second 
because I think you made a good point that I want to open up a little bit deeper. And that's on the, when you're losing weight, you make a resolution to lose weight. Why do so many people not end up losing the weight? They end up starting and going for a few weeks. And by, you know, end of January, they're right back to where they were at the end of December. And that's, I think, because of the, there's a psychology to that too, that, that translates to cards in that it's very hard to stay disciplined. It's very hard to continue on with something, even if it's a goal that you have, because it's hard to see the end. If, if, and it's hard to make the sacrifices necessary to get to that goal. There are certain people that do it. Certainly people that do go out to lose weight, you know, end up doing it, but it it's not 90% of them don't or some percentage, right? Some huge percentage don't. I see so many set registries out there of people that have started something. They might have two, three, four, five percent of the set done, and then they just kind of give up. And that is something if you're a set registry addict, I would not get into it unless you plan on finishing it. I mean, what's the point otherwise to me? Why go on the diet if you're not really going to lose the weight? Intentions don't matter. It's what do you do? And if you want to build a great collection of a player or a set or a whatever that you want to do, go for it. You know, make sure you follow through on it. The old marathon, not a sprint idea applies to set registries too. applies to everything in the hobby and just don't get frustrated. You know, I've spent years looking for certain cards, you know, years and uh, that's okay. The journey is fun. If, if you look at it that way, don't look at it as arduous and taxing and boring. And I can't find this card. It's never out there. You only need one. You only need to find one for your set. And so patience and stamina and discipline are very important in building a set registry as they are with any goal in life, probably. Yeah. Perspective has to be you have to have that positive outlook. Like this is something that you are doing for fun. This is a collection that you are building because it's what you genuinely love. And if you're just doing it to check the boxes, I think very quickly, it's easy to kind of abandon ship when all of a sudden your options dry up and you can't necessarily, because I know periods in time where you get a few dozen slabs in the mail on a Monday. And, you know, you're having a good time going through them. And then there are times where maybe you only get one or two because what you're looking for at the time, the market is just not there where you want it to be at. And it's it's a roller coaster. It's It would be very boring if it was not a roller coaster, in my opinion. If it was just very linear, then it would be extremely easy. And that's why a lot of people have a lot of admiration for those who have completed those registries as well. Um, we've talked a lot about just like personality traits and character traits that kind of come through the registry, such as perfectionism, having that want to complete things or sometimes abandoning hope. Um, and throughout this podcast, for the, those listening, you'll probably hear me talk about this quite a bit is the five personality factors as it relates to the hobby. There's one that really jumped out to me when we talk about the PSA registry, and that is openness to experience. The registry is great. And as Mike alluded to earlier in the show, he has discovered some new cards through it. 
or picked up some cards that he might have otherwise not. There's also some possibilities where it's kind of closed him off from that. Would you say that's fair? Can you give us some of the examples of where maybe the registry opened your eyes to something or maybe kind of prevented you from going after something? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of pre-war stuff that I like that I haven't bought just because it doesn't fit anywhere on a registry for me. Um, it, which is kind of weird. I, I, cause I think it's all beautiful and there's Cobbs and, you know, uh, Cy Young cards and other hall of famer stuff that I would probably pursue if it was on a registry, I would pursue it harder if that makes sense. But the fact that they're not means I'm just kind of ignoring that area of the hobby I got because I have plenty of other stuff within registries that I'm targeting. And so again, there's only so much resources to go around. So that's, that's an area I would say I, I have ignored mainly because of the registry issue. If I was to get down to it, uh, the stuff, the weird stuff, like in the 300 great cards, you know, there's a Kurt Bavakwa blowing bubble gum and Oscar Gamble with a giant Afro. And, you know, like I said, the Herb Washington, cause he's a pinch runner, you know, these weird esoteric, unique things that I would not have probably pursued. Uh, the Nolan Ryan, you mentioned as much as I love Nolan Ryan, there are some cards on his, uh, basic set registry that I'm going after that I probably would not go after otherwise some things like an 81 Fleer, like who cares, but it's on the registry and it's Nolan Ryan. So I'd like to get it, you know, uh, otherwise I probably wouldn't, but that is just what the registry can do to you. And I, I would say it's enhanced my collection, like my collecting. I wouldn't say it's a negative. Some people might say you're yeah, a little bit, I, I admit it. And why is that a bad thing? Well, cause you don't open your mind. No, I, I buy other stuff. I buy stuff that's not on the registry, but it's not, uh, it doesn't completely dominate 100% what my collecting habits are. It influences them tremendously, no doubt. Uh, but it also guides me. It provides a roadmap. It provides a lane that I can see the end of. And that's really important too. If you're just out there buying stuff randomly, in the world of hobby, you can really go off onto tangents and end up with a collection that you go, why did I do that again? You know, you look up a little while and you go, wait, why did I start doing that? This at least keeps me honed in on goals and focused on things uh, that I ultimately am proud to be in my collection. I think you have that openness to experience too with uh, certain cards and kind of stepping outside, not being shackled to the registry, as we like to say. And there's there's two stories that come to mind. The first one would be from the National this past year. And one of your key bucket list cards was a 53 Bowman Color Mickey Mantle. And I remember you stopping to look at, I believe, at least one BVG example and one SGC graded ex example to potentially cross over then to PSA, but you were open to the possibility of getting those in a different holder. You ended up with a PSA three that we found um, later in the show that day. 
you have a nearby. Oh, I thought you had it nearby. I was going to say that's very convenient. Just water. That would have been convenient. I, <laughs> I did actually have it earlier because I did my year end recap for my YouTube channel and it happened to be one of the cards that I mentioned. And I mentioned your role in getting that. So thank you. Anytime. Always, always willing to make a friend, spend big money on a card whenever possible. <laughs> uh, one that I didn't have a say in, but I know that there was a few other friends who, uh, were there when you purchased this was at the I believe the most recent Dallas card show with the 54 Bowman Ted Williams that you picked up this is your first ever SGC slab and if you haven't seen Mike's Dallas card show recap video first of all the, the show recaps are always fun videos I would encourage you to go check them out on YouTube but if you specifically haven't seen his Bowman Ted Williams it is a absolutely beautiful card it's one that he's been after for a while I'll let him tell you more about it because it's his card but it's, it's an absolute stunner. And I know that it's, correct me if I'm wrong, it is on the 300 great cards. It is. And it is in the SGC holder, which means you cannot use it in your registry. So I'm sure that played into your decision on whether or not to buy it. Kind of walk me through what that was like buying such a big card, not in the preferred holder. Uh, hard, honestly. It was difficult, but at the same time, for it's funny how much cheaper it was versus a corresponding grade in a PSA holder. The demand was is just lower. And so I was able to get a really good deal on a beautiful example. It's a it's an SGC one and a half, but it's really, really, really gorgeous. And I simply couldn't pass it up for the price. Uh I've got other examples of cards in BVG holders for the, for that set that I've considered crossing over. But when it, what the funny thing is, as much as I love the registry, the idea of sending these cards off and getting them reholdered and yeah, I'm good. You know, I have my own spreadsheet where I'm tracking it. Like we talked about earlier, where I really know where I am on this set because the goal is really the set whether it's the player or 300 great cards or X, Y, Z, that's the pursuit where you see in rankings and where you compare to other collectors, et cetera, is fun and interesting and neat. But the, the real driver for me is to get the cards. And so uh, it was kind of a easy decision. Once I really rationalized with myself, Hey, now, come on. It, it, you can cross this over at some point if you want, but just get it now when you can get it for a price that's very fair and it's a beautiful example of that card. So it, it as hard as it was in the moment, and I, I literally for two days walked around thinking about it and ultimately went, you're being silly, Mike. Just go get the card that you want. And uh, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. Yeah, you, you've definitely said that many times before on, on the channel when you've just kind of shown some cards off that maybe aren't in the grade that you were necessarily looking for. But a sign grade aside, it's a great example of the card. And with how many you have over 3,000 slabs in your collection, not every single one is of the same importance. There are certain cards that you want to have a nice example of. And I know that the, the Ted Williams being on your list for so long, I think that's a very great lesson that a lot of people can take away from this is that don't let the holder of the assigned grade really shackle you 
and uh, reduce your openness to going out and pursuing the card. If you see the card, you know, if it's a slab that you've never seen before from a company you've never seen before, that might be a different story. But if it is a reputable service, it's something to definitely consider. You don't want to limit your options because you're only hurting yourself really as a buyer at that point. So I, th I think that's a fantastic story with that. Um, we've talked a lot about different aspects of the set registry and why we kind of behave in certain ways and why we think certain things about it. Let's kind of wrap it up with how do we navigate this registry? Because we could talk about this for so long, but ultimately the words that we say can go on deaf ears if we are when people actually go to put these ideas into practice when they're out there starting their own registries or continuing to pursue them. So looking at it from those two angles, we'll start with novices to the set registry. What kind of advice would you give them to pursue their first registry? And what are some of the things they need to think about before diving into it so that they can best uh, enhance their hobby experience? I would say if you're going to dive into registry, start small. Start with something that is reasonably achievable, that's not going to take you forever and a fortune, because as we've talked about earlier, you'll probably just get frustrated and say, ah, screw it, this isn't for me. And so start with a player you like, and maybe it's uh, Ronald Acuna, let's say. Well, he has a rookie set registry. Go find all his, the rookie cards, you know, and try to get those. And just, again, something that's achievable, something that's reasonable for you. Uh, and I and I really mean that both in affordability and number of cards. If you try to go get a start a set registry on, you know, Nolan Ryan master set, there's, you know, 8000 cards in that. I mean, you'll never finish. You'll get you'll you'll get somewhere down the road and forget why you started it. And that's no fun. And you end up being bitter about it. So try something small. Get some, try to get something you can get done in six months to a year. That's probably a reasonable expectation. Um, and, and enjoy that pursuit of that. Uh, what was your second part of your question? Or was that the question? Well, that's the first part of it. Um, someone like yourself, you're more of a veteran. And we, we kind of made the joke earlier that this is like a little therapy session, kind of airing all of your dirty laundry on the set registry. So kind of having some time to talk it out and reflect a little bit on maybe your own personal experiences. What are some things that maybe you or others would want to consider when evaluating their current position with set registries and how they want to pursue it going forward? Well, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's funny how I just said you need to pursue it, pursue it, pursue it. And yet I would say if you're a veteran collector and you've started something and you haven't looked at it in a year or two, and you're not willing to pick it back up, why even have it on there? Like, don't do it just to do it. Do it because it means something to you and you have that passion for it. Otherwise, it's just gonna be an anchor on your, around your neck and that's no fun. Again, this is all supposed to be fun. So if you are pursuing MVPs and that, you know, you haven't looked at it in forever or whatever, don't be afraid to go, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, which is weird to say, cause it sounds like I'm 
saying both things. I'm not. If a veteran collector can make that distinction and say, yeah, I gave that a run and it wasn't doing it for me. Don't just keep doing it just because you, um, if, if the passion's not there, if that makes sense. Don't do it just because it's just throwing money at something you're not going to enjoy. And that's no point. So I totally agree with you. I mean, I've, I've abandoned registries before myself and I will fully admit that, that I fell into the exact same pattern. As you mentioned a few moments ago, as a novice set registries, I dove in head first and I found myself just kind of overwhelmed and really examining, am I doing this because I love it or am I doing this to check off the boxes? And really it was more so the latter. And that's when I knew that that was a problem that needed to stop. This is supposed to be fun, but the reason that we ask these questions, of course, is to make sure that we are spending our hobby dollars the best way we can and doing what's best for us so that we can enjoy this hobby as much as we possibly want. So I think that's a good stopping point. Mike, I really do appreciate you coming on here for the inaugural episode. I'm looking forward to all the great things that we'll talk about in the future. We'll definitely have you back on at some point in time. Why don't you tell people where they can go find you? Well, I'm on uh, YouTube at my channel name is Baseball Collector. I also contribute a lot to the Bench Clear Media channel. Uh, that is where you'll find my podcast, which I try to do weekly called Golden Age of Cardboard. It's also on all podcast places where you listen to your favorite podcasts, Golden Age of Cardboard. And I'm um, on Instagram at, at Baseball Collector Mike. So get in touch if you want to talk or have questions. Thanks again, Mike, for jumping on the show. I really appreciate everyone who tuned into the inaugural episode. Of course, the Sports Card Psychology Podcast is available wherever you find your podcast and is also available on YouTube. If you do happen to be watching or listening on YouTube, we'd love to hear your feedback in the comments down below on this episode. Any questions you may have to the subject matter or suggestions or guest ideas for future episodes. If we've inspired you today to go out and pick up some cards for your PSA registry, or maybe go pick up some cards that you want to get slabbed up. You can always, of course, check out the Triple Crown 24 eBay store. That is ITS Triple Crown on eBay, over 34,000 sports card singles. My store is the sponsor of the podcast. We're not cool enough yet to have a official sponsor, so I am the sponsor. So until next time, everyone, thank you again. We hope you have a very happy and healthy, safe new year. Until then. Take care, stay safe, be kind.